This is John Beethan, and this is what has my attention, Redefining Humaning, featuring Audrey Holtz, Lisa Pachance, and Patty Block. Topics covered in this episode today include Redefining Humaning, Stop Settling for Crumbs, Unfulfilled Overachievers, Defining Humaning, Business problems are people problems, and people problems are relationship problems. Old-fashioned leadership, the patriarch, how women are portrayed in media, what society expects in us, what is your identity, happily ever after, being a realist, hope is not a strategy, false foundation, atlas of the heart, Brene Brown, Never Enough, Not Enough, Generational Trauma, Viktor Frankl, Unwrapping Who We Really Are, Connecting the Dots, As a Woman, How You Can Play the Game in What You're Willing to Tolerate, Accessing Your Own Humanity, The Way Technology Has Changed Business, Wholeheartedness, Neurodivergence, Storytelling, what kind of impact are you willing to make? A masterful monologue, service and success, how you can do both. The art of gathering, am I safe and do I belong? And closing remarks. And so I bring you Redefining Humaning, featuring Audrey Holtz, Lisa Pachance, and Patty Block. Good morning, everybody. This is John Beethan with What Has My Attention. We ended episode 38 and decided that we just need to do this once a month. And I don't remember who titled it, but I think we all agreed Redefining Humaning. Do you remember who titled it? Audrey did. I think it was Audrey's fault. I've been titling (laughs) it. I've been titling some things. So if the titles are looking a little strange. Yeah. You can come to me. <laughs> yeah. No, I like it. Redefining humaning. So um, I'm going to have a question before we get into the conversation, but I want each of you to give an opportunity to once again kind of introduce yourself as you would like the world to know you. I'm Patty Block. And when I was growing up, my mom used to make these fabulous cookies. The whole house smelled good. It was warm. Cookies were gooey. Wonderful cookies. And my whole life, I watched my mom eat the broken cookies. But it wasn't until I was a teenager that I realized and even thought to ask her, why do you only eat the broken cookies? Do they taste better? And she laughed and said, no, I eat the broken cookies so you can have the whole ones. And not too long ago, out on a walk, it occurred to me That is what we as women business owners are doing in our businesses, bringing in that spirit of self-sacrifice where everybody else gets the whole cookies, our client, our staff, our families, and we're living on crumbs. My mission is to help women business owners who are experts in their fields understand that running your business doesn't have to be that hard and by pricing appropriately and treating sales more like matchmaking, everything else will flow from that. 
and it gives you more choices and more control inside your business. Fantastic. Audrey, I think, is next, huh? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, hi, my name is Audrey Holst. I am the founder of Fortitude and Flow, and I guide high performers and high achievers uh, to find different ways to actually enjoy their lives. I work with people who tend towards perfectionism and have been using perfectionism as their guiding star for a long time and are looking for uh, different strategies. So I use the Fortitude and Flow process to help them do that. I am the founder of the, uh, the creator of the Perfectionist Archetypes, which also helps people understand their perfectionism so that they can actually anchor into their strengths and uh, avoid the, the side effects that come with perfectionism that people don't really enjoy. And I'm super excited to be here with this lovely crew of humans again. I want to meet someone who enjoys the side effects of perfectionism. <laughs> it's a very small group. Oh, super small. Well, it, it, it's a, I'm going to introduce myself, but it's amazing how um, all three of us have so many overlapping areas around who we work with. Um, my name is Lisa Vicence. I'm a master certified coach and executive life coach to emerging leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs who identify as underfulfilled overachievers. And I got into this business because I was one. I had no idea how to be successful and happy at the same time. And frankly, people suck at being able to do this, being both successful and happy. Um, there's a quote by Yuval Harari that goes, the modern human tension is defined by caveman emotions medieval institutions and godlike technology. And so um, my business, uh, LP Coaching, is designed around working with uh, unfulfilled high achievers to break down that tension. Those who suffer from burnout, those who um, are in that cycle of exhaustion, and usually from some sort of uh, glass ceiling that they set for themselves, the winning strategy of overperformance, of perfectionism, of trying to prove something to the world. I work with um, leaders, entrepreneurs, and coaches all over the world. Um, I'm an ICF mentor coach, which means that I support other coaches to uh, work on their craft and get credentialed, also increase their business and effectiveness. Uh, I'm a speaker, author, and just a nerd for human behavior. I love these conversations, and I'm so grateful to be back and speaking with y'all. I am so happy to have you all back. And it's like I'm, I'm sort of going, oh, everybody's introducing themselves. I'm going, the talent here is amazing. So <laughs> if you're watching a live stream on uh, LinkedIn, you know, just check in. You know, check in with each of them. And when this goes out as a podcast, which will be in a couple of weeks, there'll be, you know, links to everybody that is on the show. So I want to ask one question and hopefully pretty much stay silent, let you guys really drive it. But this is titled Redefining Humaning. And the question is, because it's not clear to in me, is what is humaning? Can Audrey go first? <laughs> Audrey needs to go first. She's a, she was the one that started this oh, trouble. So, yes. Humaning. Yeah. So the first thing that, that comes to mind is, um, and, I, and I think that, that really this, this conversation started in the context of a business space or a professional space, right? And I think that that's important to, to understand. And um, within 
within the the professional within professional spaces in general, and I think this points to what Lisa was talking about, like these different layers of you know of uh, can you say that again, Lisa? You said the it was like the uh, the cavemen, the- Oh, the quote by Yuval Harari, the modern human tension is defined by having cave-like, caveman-like emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. Right. So this is kind of the, this is the, it's like the water we're swimming in now. And it's, uh, it is implicit. And there are so many expect invisible things in this water that we swim in, in professional spaces. There's a lot of expectations. There's a lot of assumptions that we make about um, who we have to be, how we have to appear, what we have to say, what's considered professional, um, what's allowed, what's not allowed, right? There's a lot of um, ways that we've been shown both explicitly and implicitly what, how we were allowed to be in these spaces, right? And so I, I think that there is a, um, this is something that I've discovered through a lot of conversation and just personal experience that I, I think that these um, ways of being, which people might say are are human, right? I'm, I'm a, this is how you human in a professional space. Uh, I think we need to start re redefining what that means and what is actually, what actually works for people and what actually works for business, honestly, right? Because if it, if you're in a business space, there has to be a benefit to business, right? So I that's I think that's really where this conversation conversation and originally started, and I think that's where we're going to go with it. So that's my uh, my wrap up. Hopefully that uh, hopefully that gives us a good jumping off point. I love that, Audrey. And there's there's so many branches of this conversation that I want to go in, but the thing that just popped up to me is um, something that uh, I really honed in on in my emotional intelligence facilitation course, which is which is really that business problems are people problems, hmm. and people problems are relationship problems. So it all comes down to our interaction with each other, which is really just about humans seeing humans and hearing each other. And at our most fundamental level, we all just want to be seen and heard and valued for who we are. And this, this scarcity mentality, this treating people like, a, like assembly line workers or like parts or like, um, like machines just doesn't work anymore. That's the medieval institution. And it's not, it doesn't fit with modern society. And so um, I think that the leadership trends for next year are going to be so different in what is, is truly absolutely needed in business and in companies, which is empathetic leadership, it's real transparent conversations, and it's it's all gonna be based on building relationships within your culture, within your department, and uh, within your community. That's what I gotta say about that. Well, and I would agree with that. I think I'm a little less optimistic than you are, Lisa, that there's still um, there's still the old-fashioned leadership. There's still the patriarchy. There's still limitations. And frankly, it's not oppression in the sense that we often talk about. In my view, it's our own thinking as women. We limit ourselves. And 
yes, I think there are some things in society that hold us back, but I also think that our own, the way we were raised, what we believe now, how we perpetuate those beliefs, how we pass them on to our children, sometimes without realizing, mm -hmm. all of those things are still part of our society. And while I don't want to be pessimistic, I believe in being a realist. And I think the trend is, it's trending in the right direction, but I still think we have a long way to go. I entirely agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yep. This is about the long game. Yeah. I actually want to intersect or um, put something into the conversation that has just had my attention. Um, and it is how women are portrayed in media and specifically movies. So have any of you seen a movie called Medicine Man with Sean Connery? Don't need to see it because the way the woman in this movie is portrayed, I noticed the other night when I was watching it, you know, she was weak. She was crying just all that kind of stuff. And so part of what humaning I think is all about is being conscious of what's there and what you want to remove. I mean, we seem to be always adding stuff, but it's like what's already there that needs to be removed. So. Yes. And I see that a lot with movies, TV books, um, I, I don't want to offend anyone, but I don't get the romance novel craze because in, yeah, but, you know, a lot of the premise, the formula of the romance books in particular and romance new movies and sitcoms and a lot of things is about the woman playing the fool, the woman being tricked, the woman being in a one down position. It's all of this, um, you know, and that a happy ending is in a couple. That there can't be a happy ending without being in a couple. And all of that is the patriarchy. So at what point does that start to change where certainly we're seeing stronger women represented and more independent women and, but I have to wonder at what point are we really going to start seeing that it's not all about being in a couple and that isn't the happ happily ever after that if you are in a couple and you have a great relationship, more power to you, but there are millions of people that are happily single and yet we're not represented. So there's, you know, and guys can be represented as happily single, but typically women are not. Yeah, what's interesting is that Stephanie and I, and I'll just say this publicly, have been separated by COVID for two years, and she arrived last night. Then mm -hmm. we have had two conversations a day for two years, like, I don't know, 1,500, 1,600 conversations. And she and I are both very independent, and we're not a couple people perceive us as something else other than a quote unquote couple. Because Patty, I totally agree with you is like, you can be in a relationship and not have a marriage certificate or any of that kind of stuff at all. And there's actually a bit of an advantage to it because then people don't actually put you into a particular box. But the way we are, 
as humans is, you know, we, we understand that each of us is independent and have certain gifts. And when we're together publicly, people perceive us as, um, well, creating a lot of fun and everything else. So I guess I took a left turn. Carry on. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it's a left turn. I think it plays into the whole concept of being a human and what our society expects from us. And it's what Audrey said at the beginning in terms of we started out talking about a business environment and how we can be more human in business and not strictly talk about business. I This morning I was on an interview and the host I know used to have a business making flamenco dresses. There was a sewing company. And I said to her, well, I have a sewing story too. My story is that I'm a very petite person. And when I was growing up, I could only find clothes in the children's department. And to me, that was embarrassing and a little bit shameful that I could not wear regular clothes. And when I was about 10 years old, I finally put my foot down and, and said to my mom, I am so unhappy that I cannot find clothes that I feel are appropriate for me. And think about as a young girl, how much of your identity is wrapped up in your appearance. So mom said, why don't you learn to sew? And I did. So at 10, I learned to sew and I started making all my own clothes. And what that did was it gave me control. And that control translates into a lot of things later in my life, including my business today, and not feeling like a victim and not feeling like it wasn't about fitting into society. It was about my identity. And I'm not a girly girl. I don't like bows and flowers and, you know, I don't like to wear those kinds of things. I wear solid colors and, and I could not find that if I went into the kids department, it was all pink bows and that was not my identity. So again, that societal pressure, the, by the time I was an adult, there were petite stores, which was a real sense of freedom. I could go into a store, I could find clothes that fit me, that I liked, that were stylish. And it was, um, it, it was a very liberating experience. But my conversation this morning was really about how I was able to bring control back into my life and how that benefited me. So going back to the idea of humanizing, I think the core of that is what is your identity? What is your gender identity? What is your identity in terms of where you fit in society? And we all want to fit in society, but maybe not by those medieval standards that Lisa mentioned. There's another concept that I that's come up that that is hanging here for me too that I want to mention is just this concept of happily ever after. Um, this concept that, and I think that this, what I see for with the people that I work with, right, who who have this perfectionist orientation, is there is it's been ingrained in us through 
storytelling, through narrative, through media, through religion, that if we're good enough and if we do the right things, then we get that happily ever after, right? That we can avoid the pain, we can avoid the disappointment, we can avoid all the bad things, and that we will be rewarded in some sort of way. And for those of you who are not watching, uh, John is shaking his head back and forth in a big, in a pretty <laughs> clear no. It's a fantasy. Right. But it is so baked in that I think it's, this is another invisible thing, right? I think it's really baked into us that we, we have this belief that if I do the right thing, I will be rewarded, right? If I do it perfectly, I will be rewarded. And, um, and I think that, I think that there are some standards in business that operate on a similar thought too, right? Like if, if things, if everything is optimal, if it's optimized, right, it, we get a certain result. Um, and I was introduced to this, this concept um, by Viktor Frankl called tragic optimism, which I don't know if any of you have heard about, which I relate to so much because this is something, and, and I think this is, this is the, the stance that I, I feel like I'm trying to hold in this time period, because I, I agree with you, Patty, that that things are not that the, the the upswing is not like this rosy. Again, it's not the like we're heading towards happily ever after. Um, I I'm trying to hold my, my mantra, my personal mantra for the last two years um, has been find joy in the apocalypse, because I really think that there's a lot that is not great right now. There's there's a lot of things that are not great right now. And at the same time, it's important for us as people in community and relationships to find ways to anchor into the good that does exist also. So, right, so this concept of, of tragic optimism, Viktor Frankl was a, a Holocaust survivor, was, was this growth and resilience and transformation through the hard stuff right? What, what, what is possible to come out on the other side of it? And I think that there is something here too, where, where you're talking about Patty is, is not denying the stuff that is that in not denying injustice, not in ju not denying anything that is, that is unjust that's happening or that has happened or that continues to happen. Cause it can't, we can't deny it. Um, calling it out, keeping it on the table, keeping a light on it. And what, what can we alchemize? What can we transform? What can we continue to build out of that on top of that around that? How can we dismantle and continue to move forward? I think that's the, the mix that I'm trying so hard to be with, which is difficult for me because I'm a natural pessimist, honestly, like I'm somebody who is always waiting for the other shoe to drop. So for me to, to really find light spots and find things that feel possible is actually a challenge for me. So that's, that's something that that is percolating in my head through this conversation also. Audrey, we have so much in common. <laughs> Can I ask a quick question? So Lisa, do you consider yourself an optimist? No. What do you consider yourself? I probably trend towards pessimism, but uh, gosh, you should have met me 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that, that statement surprises me, Lisa. I, I experience you as such a optimistic and, and trending towards positive person. Me no. too, which is why I ask, because I wondered if we had an optimist, a pessimist, and a realist all in this conversation. 
walk into a bar and the bartender <laughs> says. <laughs> Are you the realist, Patty? I think I'm the realist, although I tend towards optimism. Okay. What, what does being a realist mean? It means I don't wish things to be better. I don't, uh, hope is not a strategy as far as I'm concerned. So do I want things to be better? Certainly for my kids or grandkids or absolutely I do. And to Audrey's exact point, we have things that are in our environment, in our world that are tragic and terrible and unjust. And how we deal with that as a society tells a lot about who we are as humans. And I think in our society, we do not deal with it well. And that's disappointing to me. But being a realist is about affecting change. So in my view, it, it kind of goes back to that idea of, of bringing back control of what can I control and what can I not control? And where can I affect change? I mean, it's why I chose to do what I do because I can affect change for other women and help them realize it's not, it shouldn't be so hard to run your business. And why is it so hard? And part of that is because of what we believe and what I think of as false foundations. Mm. And all of that, uh, my being a realist allows me to see things without a filter in many cases see things in a different way than many people do. And I hear that, I hear that feedback quite a bit, that I'm bringing new perspectives, that I'm thinking in innovative ways. Then with that, I want to affect change and I want to affect positive change. So that's what being a realist means to me. I'm not just hoping for the best and planning for the worst. Mm. Well, it's interesting. Um, John, I see the Atlas of the Heart book behind you. Yep. And I believe Brene Brown had recently talked about hope and this concept of hope in that book. I think she referenced that book. I, th I think everything she's doing right now is referencing the book. Is yes. referencing that book. Sure. Um, and hope is such an, such an interesting thing because it's oftentimes abused and misused. Uh, I, I think I'm actually more of a realist than I am a pessimist or an optimist, but I think it's been a journey to get there because I grew up with this very, very strong, never enough. It's never enough. I'm never enough. Nothing's ever enough. And I believe that that's a very entrenched female feeling. And so we look to external factors to try to get our enoughness met. We look to society, we look to books, we look to movies, how can I be enough? Oh, that person's wearing that, or that person has makeup, or that person is shopping in this store, and that person has a business, and that person's making six figures, and that person's, it's all this external stuff, and it doesn't allow ourselves to be grounded in reality. I loved that concept that you said of false foundations, because my belief is that most of us have and have been raised with false foundations. We've been raised with beliefs that aren't our own because biology. I mean, we, we are given beliefs by our social conditioning. That's, that's part of this like screwed up way that we are as human beings and have evolved as we, we uh, absorb 
beliefs from other people and we don't realize that they're not our own and they're not based in our reality. Um, and the, uh, the book that I helped author was about generational traumas and how do we as women break up those generational traumas that have been handed down generation to generation and haven't been interrupted because we're just not aware of those things. Um, I was in years and years of therapy to try to figure out how to fix my not enoughness until I met coaching and was like, oh my God, it's because I wasn't aware that I had access to choice and with choice comes access to change. And it was that piece that I really relate to what you're talking about, Patty. It's that um, just being aware of where we're at, of our, of our feelings, of, of the crappiness. And we don't, as human beings, we don't like to be in the crappiness. We want to avoid it. It, do, it hurts. And I think that's actually where our strength is, though, is in being able to be in the suck and the suckiness. And this is what Brene Brown was talking about when it came to hope. But then having choice over how we change. And that's where the hope comes in is, oh, there are some things under my control. And Viktor Frankl talks about that in his book a lot. There are some things. There's always something because we can, can, we can always control our attitude. Um, so it's a long-winded uh, circle of what we're talking about, but I really believe that us as coaches and experts and consultants, it's part of our jobs to show up and to break up that generational trauma and that cycle and start to bring back the being human, regardless of where we're showing up. I think that's true leadership. Okay. I have a question and I'm really curious what each of your answers will be is this concept of how do you access you're being human because I think, right. You were talking about things that we get wrapped up in, but like, I believe that each of us have a specific access point. And I think it says a lot about how we work with people too, personally, like how do you access your version or your definition of what it is like being human? Does that sound, does that make sense? Yes, but I'd like Lisa to go first. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Is there something that you would like to hear about my, my humanness? <laughs> Well, um, it's a great question. The foundation of my work is in unwrapping a lot of the conditioning that we have as humans and getting to the core of who we are, our essence. And once we start identifying our essence, we can then bring it to everything that we do. Who we're being can generate what we're doing and then we can have the have the things we want, but it comes from that being. And so generating my being to me looks like experiencing the moment, not denying my, my lived experience, but then bringing the essence of who I am. Um, and my, my essence words as defined are radiance, spirit, knowledge, grace, and support. And I just saw you lean forward. I, I'm assuming you've got them like on a wall or something so you can. Yeah, my post-it notes. Love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I can go on and on about it, but really it's about choosing who I'm being in any moment. Because I, I believe that that's really the only thing we, we do have true control over is choosing our attitude or perspective and, and who we be, what parts of us we bring to those situations. 
Um, and I think all of us have something limitless that we can bring at any point in time, we have access to that. How about you, Patty? So along with being a realist, I'm also very practical. So I love what we're talking about, but it's very esoteric. And for me, accessing being human and how I interact with my clients, it's about connecting the dots. So again, a very practical approach to what we're talking about here and more of a day-to-day -day approach. So what's been difficult for me is I was conditioned that you don't cry, you don't show emotion, you don't talk about your feelings, you are not vulnerable, especially in a business setting, that it is somehow unprofessional to do any of those things. And the people who are most likely to experience those things are women. So it's like saying, and in fact, as I was growing up and in my career, there was a heavy emphasis on act like a guy. Yes. I was a lobbyist. Yep. I was one of the very, very few women lobbyists at that time. Mm. And you had two choices. You could either dress like a, a relatively sexy person in order to get people's attention. You could dress short skirts, low tops, so on and so forth. What we see in the movies, frankly. Or you could be one of the guys. And the guys were making deals on the golf course and the strip clubs. I'm a single mom. I'm commuting. I'm, I'm not doing either, frankly, hmm. but I have to be an effective lobbyist. So it's playing a game. How do you play the game? And it's also why I don't do that now, because there's only so much of that you can tolerate. And, and that's true of millions of women who have had those types of careers where those were your choices. You're either a sex symbol or you're one of the guys and there's nothing in between. And at some point you have to realize what you're willing to tolerate. And the money is never enough. It's never enough to compromise yourself in that way. And so that experience also informs how I feel about this, that there's gotta be a better way. And I can help affect that change. So going back to connecting the dots, for me, that's a really practical strategy. It's about building rapport. It's about having real relationships. It's about working on those relationships. That's how I show up authentically. And where, you know, interestingly, two years ago, I would never have told you the sewing story because I would, you know, I think of sewing as a girl thing. It's a gender-based thing, which of course it isn't. There are world famous male designers, but I just wouldn't have talked about that because I feel vulnerable. I have to talk about something that was difficult for me as a kid. And yet I've gotten more comfortable with that, understanding I can connect the dots and realizing that my asking, how can I do this differently, 
was the beginning of my real identity. Mm. How can I do this differently? How can I have more control? How can I take responsibility for my identity instead of feeling victimized? And of course, I didn't know that as a kid, but I'm realizing that more and more as I've continued and as I see it in others. So connecting the dots, having practical solutions, choosing, it's all about choices. That's what I, I tell my clients about bringing in more money. It's all about choices. More money means you can, in fact, I love what you said a minute ago, Lisa, you said having choices leads to having making change. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly right. And that's really what I did as a kid without realizing it. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do as an adult and I do it in every aspect of my life. And it brings me such joy. I used to think I was missing out on joy. You know, I couldn't be the fun parent. I couldn't be, <laughs> right? I mean, I had to be the solid steady parent. So all of, for all those reasons, I had certain beliefs. I can't be this, but I can be this. And I will tell you, I just think, I, sometimes I look back and I think, did I really believe those things? Mm -hmm. And those limiting beliefs are happening with all of us, every single one of us, male or female. And I see it a lot in business, just a lot. So that's part of my mission is to, to share that we don't have to be limited in that way. We have a lot more choices than we think we do. And when you connect the dots, you can take back some control. Audrey, can you repeat your question again? Yeah, I, I guess my, my curiosity was around our own personal access to, to our humanity, our humaning, our, our yeah, how we, our, our personal access point, I guess. Mm -hmm. What is it for you? So, um, it's funny, like as I as I'm listening to each of you, it's I have I, it, I have a particular admiration, Patty, for your like straightforwardness, because it's something that I um, it's not me. And I have such uh, like, damn, like it's so it's so nice to hear things put so like simply and straightforwardly in a very like clear way. And I'm mm -hmm. like, that's not how I roll. I don't speak that clearly. I don't have my ideas formulated that well. And um, it's just... I disagree, Audrey. <laughs> okay, yeah. But in my You're own brilliant. perception, right? In my own perception, right? So it is funny to be like sitting in my own perception and listening to you, each of you who I find to be so brilliant. And um, yeah, Lisa, I feel like we relate to each other in a lot of ways. And I feel like, damn girl, you've done a lot of fucking work. Oop, just drop that f-bomb yes um, yes <laughs> it gives me permission to drop really mine <laughs> so but th so the thing that i um what i was thinking about in through all of this and and i don't have i don't have easy answers like i don't come by answers easily and i don't i'm not always the best at communicating things so when i think about when i when i'm moving through the world and I'm thinking about humaning, I really bring things back. And this comes back to some of the experiences that I've had out in the wilderness, like camping, hiking, is 
what is, how would I be in the wilderness, right? How would I be relating to my environment? How would I be navigating difficult circumstances, right? Like survival in a wilderness situation is different than the survival that gets kicked up in us in a boardroom. But it's it's similar. It's the same wiring, right? But it's a different different situations. Um, there's this big, there's this book called uh, uh, Deep Survival, and I can't come up with the author's author right now. But that talks about he interviewed a bunch of people who have been in survival situations, like life and death survival situations, mm-hmm. out to sea, in uh, mountaineering situations, getting lost, right? And like, what are the things that people access? How do people access? How do people, how, why do some people survive and some people not survive, right? That, that sort of stuff. So when I'm, when I'm thinking about accessing my own humanity, it's like, how do I tap into that kind of groundedness in my own physicality, in my own body, in my own intuition, in my own senses? Um, because I feel like that pulls me out of that technology stuff, right? Which is all a, the 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 culture and the norms around technology are crazy. You know, for instance, um, I think it's it's worth mentioning, right? The way that technology has changed business has been mixed, right? Like I've, I was talking to somebody the other day, and she was. Um, she's somebody who practices law. And she was saying, you know, when I first started practicing law, you, you were sending letters, you couldn't access people for days. And now there's this 24 seven cycle of connection that we can't get away from, which is not human. We are not meant to, to have that sort of connection to realities that aren't even our own, right? Like we can be connected to a reality across the globe that like, that's not my reality, but it's in my consciousness now. So now it's become part of my reality, right? So the biggest challenge for me is like, I am impacted by all these things on a deep level, which makes me really good at what I do. And it makes it really hard for me to function in the world sometimes. Like that's basically what it comes down to. I'm brilliant at what I do. Functioning in the world sometimes for me is like really hard. It's hard Mm. for me to be in the world sometimes. So it's like, how do we find our way in? And I think that's the important thing for anybody who's listening is like, your access to your own humanity is going to look different and you have to find it. It is imperative. Like this is imperative. This is not like a, a nice to have. This is like, if you are going to survive and have the opportunity to thrive in business, you have to have that access to your own humanity. So for me, where am I in my body? Where am I in my mind? What is my present reality? How am I right now? You know, like, that is these are these are things that I I'm checking in with myself on a constant basis to orient myself back to I'm a physical human on a physical planet engaging with technology because that's what brings me back to my humanity and relationship building right even this is like so I'm so happy to be with both of you and I'm like I wish we were in a room together I wish we could get coffee after this you know what I mean and so I'm happy about it and it's so challenging too um, that may be going completely sideways off the topic, but that's what's on top of me for, for all of this is like, that's how I get to me is like, what is it like to be me in the wilderness? How do I get to that, that version of me? Audrey, <laughs> I so appreciate you sharing this. And um, I really appreciate your passion too. Like you're so heartfelt in what you say. And it's, it's unusual 
not many people will bring their whole selves. And I wonder if that's part of what makes it hard. Um, I noticed that for myself too. I, I'm, I'm Italian and I'm emotional and I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> and for a long time, I didn't know how to like adult because I couldn't self-regulate and self-manage. And so life was really, really hard because when I brought myself, I brought my whole, my whole self and it was considered too much in modern society and the way we function. And so I did the opposite. I shut down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if like, if that's, if that's also the thing that you're pointing to is like, you're, you're so, you're, you're so kinesthetic. You're so, um, you're so wholehearted and society as it is rejects that. Mm. I think it's maybe not even such a rejection as it is, if we're talking practical business terms, it makes it very challenging for me, right? Mm -hmm. Like the sort of the level of organization and executive functioning that that is involved in businessing can be mm -hmm. really challenging for me. Like, mm -hmm. and that's just a piece of it, right? And some of that comes from being able to hire teams and 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 having a team, that sort of stuff, which in my phase of business is not, it I can do in bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. But it's, I think that's one of the things uh, in business ownership in the particular business that I'm in, um, my path is going to look very different, I think, than some people who are able to be organized in a particular way or whose brains function in a very particular way. So I think that's worth that humaning piece, I think, is also worth mentioning that, like, if you're if you own a business or if you're building a business, what that looks like for you is going to look different than other mm. people's. And that's something that's taken me a long time to get to also. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to hand the mic over to Patty in just a second, but there's one more thing that I really appreciate about your share. It's that, um, ha have you heard of neurodivergence? Oh yeah. I am a very, very familiar, a lot of clients and possibly myself as well. So I've gotten very interested in neurodivergence, um, it, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it. So help me out. Mm -hmm. I, I understand it as, um, there's one particular way that mainstream society has us operating from very much like a head-based, um, like written processing, verbal conversation place. And a lot, and many people don't have that. I'm very much a visual person and experiential person. Like I need to be out there on the field practicing that thing for me to really embody and understand it. And so, um, from our very first conversation, Audrey, I, I so appreciate you standing for business and conversations to be different, to have it be a, a, like a full body experience. Because um, there's so many individuals who, who process that way through their, through their body, through getting out in nature, through having space, through disconnecting from technology. And what if that was okay? Like, what if there was a whole, like, section in the bookstore of how to start a business from a kinesthetic place, how to run a business from a somatic place. I, I just find it so cool the way that you talk about it and the way that you process. So I would encourage you to own your own brilliance there. It might not sound like how Patty and I are speaking, but it's really fucking necessary and really, I think, very valuable. I appreciate that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm so curious. I'm so curious what's going on with you, Patty, because I'm like, yeah. what's what what are the wheels turning on over there? Because I can tell she's like she's chewing on stuff right now. She's ready. Connect right? to the dots wait. for us, Patty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'm chewing on stuff. And I also think what Lisa just said might be the topic for your next book. Of, because she's right. There should be a section in the bookstore about people who process information and use it in business mm-hmm. kinesthetically. I'd read and, it. And I'm a person who's in my head for sure. And so are my clients. And so one of the things that I've been working with my clients on is storytelling and having um, some kind of anchor that is representative of the concept or the business. So I, I'm helping my clients understand that and how storytelling can be so powerful, which I think it is. But the problem for technical experts, which I am and my clients are, is that our stories sound like reports. <laughs> and that is a really hard thing to overcome, but that's because we're so in our heads. So when Lisa was describing that topic, I'm thinking, oh, Audrey could write a book on that. (laughs) Put it on the list. Exactly. Put it on the list. And I know that Patty is writing her book right now. So I am. I am. You know, the for me, I think the the big challenge. So I'm so happy on a daily basis. When you're really happy, you don't have a strong motivation to change anything, Mm. right? So, and I've been this happy for like the last 10 years. (laughs) So there are always ups and downs, but in terms of how I feel inside, I'm just like, I'm just so happy and fulfilled. And I find what I do so rewarding and I get such great feedback and all of that, that, you know, kind of comes in a, a little pod of this is what it feels like to, to be successful, to be, to know who you are. And that's very much what you were describing, Audrey, is knowing who you are, what's important to you and how you impact others. And that's what all three of us are doing out in the real world is we are bringing positive impact. And every business owner I talk to, that's what they want, right? They wanna make money. They wanna be considered successful. They may wanna provide jobs. They may want certain things. They all wanna make impact, right? Is that true of both of you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that's the next natural step in my view of what are you bringing how are you accessing being a human then the next natural step is and how does that show up in the world not only how do you show up but what kind of impact are you making and to me it doesn't make sense in my view to have a business that is not serving others Going back to the broken cookie effect, my point is we can serve others and we can make a lot of money. They're not mutually exclusive. And eating the broken cookies is fine as long as you also occasionally get some of the whole cookies. Was that not the most masterful wrap-up you've ever heard? Patty, take it home. (laughs) Dang. 
<laughs> Thank you, Audrey. Woo! Well, I think she also titled our next right. gathering. Which Would is? you say that? Uh, Which is? Yes. Tell us, John. Well, you know, if this is about redefining humanine, you had indicated in this little rant. Well, it wasn't really a rant. Yeah, it kind of was. It, was. it, kinda it, was. Masterful, it was a masterful monologue is what I would say. Masterful Master- monologue Ooh. is something about um, how we do something. So what is the next thing that needs to be done? So what would the title be? Where would we naturally follow up in a month? Um, I think it's going to be a, something about affecting positive change. Okay. Audrey, you really good at titling things. Some, so I feel like impact is really a word that you used a lot um, when you were talking kind about of over, kind of overused. Positive. Thank you, John. <laughs> no, it's serious. I mean, when stuff gets overused, it just doesn't get, well, it's not very impactful. Oh, you mean actually. that? Oh, you mean the word, the word impact in general? Yeah. 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 Um, so what? Eat the cookie? Eat the cookie. <laughs> well, I hear service and success. Like what did you, you say, Lisa? Service and success. How you can do both. How you can do both. That, that, that to me was like the first five years of my business. How can I be of service and be successful at the same time? I think we hold it as a, like a win-lose mm-hmm. or like if you're paying me money, I win, but you lose somehow, but well, I don't see it at, like that at all, at least not anymore. Yes. And the issue in my mind is I can't, so what I hear and what I experience out in the marketplace is I'm going to keep my prices low so that I can serve more people. I have so many thoughts on that. <laughs> so yeah. that so we're, we we're going to, we're, Perfect. we are going to actually, session. Audrey, hang on to that. Write yourself a note right now. I know you use stickies or something or whatever. <laughs> Tattoo it to your arm, but just uh, hold that thought till next time. Yeah. So you said service and success. Mm-hmm. Patty, what else? Um, I, I think service and success, you can have both. Okay. That appeals to me. That sounds like a good book title too. Yeah, seriously. Service and success, you can have both. I'll take two. So can I suggest we actually say how to have both? There you go. I like it. Okay, good. So everybody's going, these folks, do they know they're still recording? Here we are. Behind the curtain. Yeah, I know. I know. I do need to wind it up. Um. I do need to wind it up. And, you know, I got to say, I took myself out of the conversation and video completely because I really, um, I am so honored to be, to have you here. I mean, you have no idea. I'm getting very emotional. There could be a tear. Oh, there's one. And I've had, st- I've, it's been streaming down my face like half this time. So it's, you know, bring it. <laughs> Fill the swimming pool. So, um, but the word that really just came through to me, which is something that, um, men should consider in contemplation is the true value and real meaning of brave mm. or maybe another way of brave. But, but when I hear your stories and how vulnerable that you're, you are, it's incredibly brave. I mean, I just put mm. brave exclamation like 50 times. So anyway, thank you very, very, very much. Um, thank you. 
Yeah, Thanks sticker. for having us, John. Thanks for gathering the group, keeping it going. I I love these conversations and I learned so much. Um, I feel like I'm absorbing brilliance just being in these conversations and that and mm. conversation is a big thing for me and how I I can create change. So I'm grateful for, for yeah. each of you and what you're saying. It's it's having a huge impact on me. Ah. Well, I Good I also I, I'm I'm so honored and delighted to be here. I, I also feel like I'm I'm learning in every single one of these conversations. And John, truly, thank you for hosting this series, for being the man that lifts up the women to have voice and visibility and vulnerability. I think that God, I wish there were more men like you in the world who are doing this. So well, really, thank you. If you're listening and one of those men, just contact me, and uh, that would be great. You know. Um, I do want to mention something that's had a huge impact on me. Oops, there's that word again. Is and I actually sent this book to most of my clients. Is the art of gathering? Oh, <laughs> it's such a good book. It's a really good book. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I have to, you know, it's like I read and listen to podcasts a lot, and da 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 da, and it's just like that is just been on top for me. And part of the reason mm -hmm. is is that. Um, things have changed, and I don't think people really know why they gather anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is intentional, and I think we know why we gather here. But um, I guess that sounds arrogant, but oh well. But <laughs> but anyway, so that's my recommendation, and I just want to let people know that uh, we will be back. You can get the podcast audio version anywhere you get your audio, and if you go to whathasmyattention.com, you know, that will pop up all the places you can get it, which is virtually everywhere. But there's also a menu item for episodes. And in within that, there's a category called Women in Strong Leadership. So if you click on that, you're going to see every episode that actually um, has that topic, you know. So any any closing thoughts besides how do we get in touch with you, starting with Patty? Well, thank you all. Audrey and Lisa, it's always, always a pleasure. And I learn things and I love having our different perspectives that we're bringing into this conversation. So thank you. And John, thank you for providing this platform, raising up our voices. Uh, the way I would wrap up is to say, these conversations are super important and they need to be with more people and expanding how we treat each other and how we think about each other, how we view each other so that there's so much more kindness in the world because we're, we're lacking that and we need it. And we need it in business too. Oh, with the wrap up statements, Patty, um, <laughs> I feel I'm like, well, that, that basically says it. Yeah. Um, how do people find you, Patty? Do they go to your website? Uh, yes, you can go to my website at theblockgroup.net or connect with me on LinkedIn. And when you do, and it's Patty Block, Patty with a Y. When you connect with me on LinkedIn, please mention this, this podcast or this live event so that I can make the mental connection. Of, uh, yeah, you can use that. You can use the hashtag WISL, Women in Strong Leadership. Mm. And one last thing is I have a quiz myrevenueroadblocks.com. And you can, it's a free quiz where you can learn about what's in your way 
from the standpoint of generating revenue in your business. And you'll get a report and information. So it's myrevenueroadblocks.com. I've taken the quiz. It's a great quiz. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you can, if you head to fortitudeandflow.com, that is uh, the best way to reach me and get more information about what I do. So this is Audrey speaking, if you're not following the pictures. Um, and if you're interested, we I didn't talk about it, but if you're interested in learning about the perfectionist archetypes, uh, which is based on all my research around perfectionism, you can go to fortitudeandflow.com slash perfectionist. And I am also on LinkedIn and I would love to be connected to more people through LinkedIn. I'm starting to wade into those waters, which I didn't for a long time because I was like, business things are gross. Um, but I've actually found there's actually a lot of humanity on LinkedIn, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. So you can human on LinkedIn. So I would like to human with you on LinkedIn also. Just don't spam us, please. Don't. That is not human. If I, get I see you. One more message that says, hi, I see you are a coach and doing coaching. I have this great product and 52 step sales funnel to get more clients. <laughs> yeah, Don't that's that. not an example of humaning, mm -mm. just FYI. Mm -mm. Well, Lisa Bachens, you can find me at coachingwithlp.com. I'm also on Instagram, coachingwithlp, and on LinkedIn, uh, Lisa Bachens. And um, I also have a Four Levels of Leadership Resiliency workbook that I produced this past year. And I'm also working on producing an energy audit for high achievers which I'm super, super excited about because it's really cool. It's not what you think it is. It's not like, oh, well, drink more water. It's like truly about purpose and self-awareness and looking at all the ways that we drain our energy through things like that. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and, and truly, it is such an honor to create connection with all four of you. I feel like, Audrey, I learned this from, from your presentation. We always carry this question of, am I safe and do I belong? And in these conversations, I feel both tremendously. And so I really encourage other people to, to go out and find out where you can create that or where, where you can find that. Find your people that create safety and belonging because it really fuels you. Fantastic. All right. So um, until next time, it's John Beathen at whathasmyattention.com. And again, I leave with honor and gratitude. And thanks for being here. Bye. Bye.